Welcome to Spirited Word. By God's Word proclaimed, the Holy Spirit works faith in God's grace in Jesus, when and where He pleases. Sermons by Pastor Adrian Kitson, Lutheran Church of Australia. The reading today does come from Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel today comes from chapter Mark, from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Pray, friends. Heavenly Father, thanks for the moment. We pray that you'd speak to us, and we are sure that you will, because you always deliver on your promises to speak. By the power of your Holy Spirit alive and well, working in your word, make these words uh, bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you know Jonah, do you? The most reluctant prophet in the history of the world. I guess you could call him a reluctant prophet. His is a very famous story of a man called to be a prophet by God himself to a despicable, horrible people who runs away from God's call as fast as he can only to be relentlessly pursued by God by various means to achieve the magnificent outcome that we just heard told again. A whole city repented of their evil behaviour and attitudes and way of life, less pain, less injustice, less violence and less suffering for a whole city. And our text was the one paragraph summary of that great outcome God was on a mission to achieve. But I've got to say, there's a rich, huge story. As you know, if some of you know Jonah before it and after it, all around it. So here's the short version. See what you think. God calls Jonah to go to a brutal, violent city, Assyrians, 
of non-Jewish foreigners in a distant place away from his homeland. And Jonah says what? No. (laughs) I'm not going. Sorry, God. I'm not going. In fact, as you know, he goes in exactly the opposite direction. He heads west geographically, but in the heart he also goes in the opposite direction. But we hear that the Lord will not let his mission to save a community from all of that evil stuff go. And by the way, he won't let his reluctant prophet go either. Jonah catches a boat. There's always a boat to catch away from God. Lots of them, plenty of them. He finds it easy to catch a boat away from God. Down to Tarshish, over the Mediterranean, off he goes to the west. He thinks that God is far away. But God is never very far away. And you know what happens, don't you? God sends a storm. Method number one for the mission. He sends a storm that catches Jonah and a very fearful ship's crew of your everyday pagan person. Jonah is asleep down the bottom in the huge storm in his splendid, uncaring, self-righteous isolation bubble. And the pagan captain wakes him up and demands that Jonah get out of his self-righteous bubble and put his faith in his God to work for the betterment of the crew, for someone else, mate. Think of someone else. Well, Jonah is momentarily awoken from his self-righteous disobedience to the mission call of God and he finally seems to engage in the moment. And indeed, he offers himself to death in their place. Now we're getting somewhere. And they try hard not to, but they reluctantly eventually throw him into the churning sea, as he suggested they should. And you know the story. God provides a really big fish (laughs) to grab him at the fateful moment of death. The big fish. Jonah finally, and the only time in the book of Jonah, what does he do when he's in the big belly of the whale in the bottom of the sea? He prays. Finally, he prays for real, and you can read it, beautiful prayer. He finally prays. And he's grateful and he seems awake now to the calling of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God. And he even eventually goes east, back towards his worst nightmare, a city of pagan, heathen, unchurched, horrible people. He even goes to Nineveh. Unbelievable. And then, as you know, probably, he preaches the shortest sermon in history with no conviction and no compassion and no, not much of anything. This is all still mildly under protest at this stage again. He's still under protest with God. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. End of sermon. Short service today, folks. That's it. 
And amazingly, the pagans, the horrible pagans, heed the warning. And they repent of their unbelief and pride and their violence and their injustice and their oppression. And they put on sackcloth and ashes. And much to Jonah's chagrin, the Lord relents and doesn't destroy them. Jonah remains unimpressed. In fact, in chapter 4 we read, Jonah was exceedingly angry with the Lord. Why? Because he saved those dodgy pagans in that horrible city. I knew you'd do it, God. You always let them off the hook. You never do, you know, you never get into them and turn and burn and all that stuff. I knew you'd do it, God. He criticises God heavily for God's grace, his undeserved love and acceptance on these horrible people. He actually says, Jonah says, that this whole mission was a complete waste of his time. And he says to the Lord, I'd rather you kill me now so that I don't have to go on one of these missions ever again. Big words, aren't they? <laughs> Big words. His, his, it's a bit like... Jesus putting the hated Samaritan man in the hero place, saving a beaten up person of the chosen race, a Jewish person, on the side of the road. Remember that story Jesus told? Or it's like a loving father pleading with his angry older brother to come into the banquet because his dodgy, reckless, horrible younger brother who's squandered a third of the family fortune has come home and is found. See where Jesus gets his parables from? Friends, we're meant to ponder Jonah's self-righteousness and most uncomfortably, our own. And we're meant to ponder our attitude to those horrible Ninevites around us. Nuri Nineveh, here we are. And most importantly, we're meant to marvel at the magnitude and the extent and the relentless grace of God for them and me and you. So let's do that. I think of us as a church community. The coolest thing about being a pastor of St. Petri Lutheran Church is that we are not like Jonah for the most part. We're not like that at all. We are not reluctant prophets around here. It's not as far as I can tell. By God's relentless work, his spirit's amazing work over decades, decades and decades, given through our ultimate prophet, Jesus, who didn't rise from the belly of a whale after three days, but from death itself, from a tomb of death after three days. Because of him and his grace, we have a long history of going to this Nineveh, proclaiming his words in deed and words, with, like, unlike Jonah, with conviction and with real heart. I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. You know, back in the late 80s and early 90s, 
We even had a mission effort called Nineveh. Anybody go to one of those? Oh, there's a few of us. <laughs> yes. It was a way of going to this community based on Christian music. And it was in the Tanunda Show Hall. And you know, I remember walking through the belly of a whale, sprinklers going, to get into the Tanunda Show Hall to watch the band and all of that. And I heard from someone yesterday, they were there once, and even they had to go outside because it was too loud. <laughs> anyway, brilliant idea, brilliant name, brilliant. And then, of course, what a bold and brave move it was to buy a whole block of land that reaches right to the main street to, to gain some kind of mission presence in the main street of our town. And uh, affectionately, we call it the cottage. What a great move that was there. It was awesome. Uh, and what about the uh, Shadow House craft and tea rooms? I got it right, Helen, if you're watching. Uh, that's what it was actually called. Uh, all those, entirely appropriate for the time. What a mission heart. Beautiful. Um, working with overseas stuff, shoeboxes and ALWS, maybe even Mongolia at one stage with Pastor Andy and Glenda. Those remember that. Mate, all entirely appropriate in their time. Wonderful. So now I think of now, and I think of what's going on now. It hasn't stopped. The mission heart of this place, it just rolls on. It's awesome. So now we have a new church community, really, like a church plant that's kind of happened over, over years now, because it's called Messy Church. Dozens and dozens and dozens of everyday Ninevite families uh, getting uh, the message of Jesus and practical help and love and acceptance on a weekly, daily basis. Wonderful, wonderful relationships, conversations, bearing fruit, questions about faith. Why do you guys do this stuff for us? Who is this Jesus bloke anyway? All that, it's all going on. Marvellous, absolutely marvellous. I think of, um, I, I guess you'd call it preventative community work, training and supporting and loving particularly young mums but also dads with little children uh, in our family centre, which is beautiful. It's just beautiful to watch. It's wonderful. I think of our partnership with Lutheran Care just here and all around the valley, real hope for real people on pretty much a daily basis. Wonderful. I think of uh, gathering men together to help them share their story and hear other men's stories and there's life and there's transformation of life and relationships. Shed happens. Wonderful, just wonderful. And they're just the programs. What about you? Countless conversations and connections in all kinds of places, main street, shops, homes, mall, parks, pubs, clubs, everywhere. The mission heart of this place beats everywhere. We love it. We love it. It's great. So these are signs of God's activity among us and they're wonderful. We have a, a, a mission heart that's beating in our neary Nineveh, no doubt about it. We've been up on the deck among the pagan sailors in all of their fears and troubles and we have even been among the Assyrians and all their pagan ways and we've even sacrificed ourselves at times in many ways for them. Beautiful, beautiful. So this is all good. What's the warning here though, folks? What's the warning from Jonah? Well, 
a temptation that can sneak up on any church and any person, any Christian person, sleepy self-righteousness. That's the warning. He's running away from God to go where he needs to go and be where he needs to be for a couple of reasons, basically, I think. He dislikes the people to whom God has sent him. He doesn't like them. He doesn't want anything to do with them. He doesn't like those pagans. Keep away from them. And he probably didn't think that going and sacrificing anything of his time or anybody else's or God's was worth it or needed. That's sleepy self-righteousness as a church. The Assyrians, after all, weren't Jewish. They're not part of the club. They're not part of the chosen race. They were unclean, heartless, ignorant, Gentiles, not worth the time of day. If there was ever a community of sinners totally undeserving of any morsel of God's kindness, they were it. No, they should wake up to themselves and get a haircut. And they should get themselves sorted out. They deserve all they get. If you live by the sword, then you deserve to die by the sword. Jonah's faith in God was for himself only and his nation, Israel, not for these people. That's the temptation of a Christian church. All of this is for us and not for them. That's the truthful warning. Our heart can say changing things, learning new things, keeping on trying, adapting, listening, working together for our Nineveh it's just not worth my time. People who don't come to church deserve all they get. We try and run things for them and they never turn up. They should help themselves, you know. God helps those who help themselves. Why should we bother anyway? Why can't they just be like us? And who cares if they're not? Because I'm okay. You get the picture. Friends, Jonah cherishes these attitudes in his heart all the way through this book and it's a cliffhanger. At the end, you never know where he ends up. The story's chopped off and you've got to figure out where you are. He was around in the reign of King Jeroboam II in about 786 BC, 1 Kings 14, and unlike the two other prophets of the day, Amos and Hosea, Jonah did nothing and said nothing and didn't even offer a mild criticism of Jeroboam's excessive, military, aggressive policy. And I'm going to use the phrase, I'm not, I'm not landing Donald Trump here, but the idea, make Israel great. That whole way of thinking to that nationalistic patriot, you know, patriotism thing. Jonah said nothing. And the other two did, if you read Hosea and Amos, they said a lot. <laughs> and uh, of all people that the Lord would choose <laughs> to send to a place like Nineveh. Can you get the irony here, folks? The truth is that self-righteousness blinds you. Jonah is blinded to the grace of God for himself and for them. And Jonah couldn't trust God's calling and he couldn't fathom God's logic and he certainly didn't seem to really trust God's gracious intent for him 
and them. So Jonah runs and he avoids and he blames and he feels superior and he puts stringent limits on grace and he sleeps in his comfortable superiority and self-righteousness and, dare we say, church pride. And if he engages in anything for anybody else, it's always from a position of power and superiority. In the end, it's just condescending and patronising. Thank God, friends, this church ain't like that. It's not like that. It's a wonderful thing. But we're still called to Nineveh. I think we know it. Are we willing to trust our prophet, priest and king, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, in our time, in our day now, and see what would happen? I believe, I believe we mostly do. And we know our new for Nineveh, and we quite like the place. And we know that no one in this town deserves a morsel of God's grace. I know I don't. And I know you don't. No one does. But we have it. We have the full extent lavishly poured out on us the grace of God in the person of Jesus. You've got him in your baptism. By faith, you've got him. You've got all of him, not half of him. You've got everything you need. You've got him. You've got the grace of God. He calls you and me to trust his logic, which to most of us seems illogical. He operates in a whole different way. We need to trust his intent and, his, and we need to trust each other to listen and to learn and to work together and adapt and change and move together in new ways as he sends us into the, the Ninevites. And I noticed one last thing. I noticed this about this text this time. Do you know that God changed his method heaps to get to the goal we heard about, the great outcome of a whole city being saved? from more bloodshed and all that, he used, I've identified six things that he, he used, depending on the moment. Very adaptable and flexible. So first thing, the storm, yes. Uh, some very worried pagan sailors. A really big fish. A one-line warning from an uncommitted preacher. And later on, a little tree that he lets grow up to shade Jonah in his seething anger and then a little worm that God sends to kill the tree that exposes Jonah's seething self-righteousness is still with us. So that's six things that he used to get to the good stuff, a city saved. Why can't we? Why can't we adapt? Why can't we change why can't we learn? Why can't we listen? Why can't we work together? Why can't we trust each other? Why can't we trust him? Wherever he leads in our Nineveh. Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you, O God. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from only the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. The light of Christ enlighten you, the forgiveness of God restore you, and the calling of Jesus send you into all the places that he goes with you. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, our Heavenly Father, 
and the friendship and the fellowship and the power of the Holy Spirit be upon you today, friend. Go in his power. Amen. Thanks for listening. Pastor Adrian serves at St. Petri Lutheran Church, New York, Barossa Valley, South Australia. St. Petri.org.au